Welcome to Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Fides is Latin for faith and truth, and that's what we do on this show is talk about truth and talk about faith. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, the great song that you're hearing in the background is my friend Frank Camp. You could find him on Spotify. Great song. This song is called Heaven Can Wait. But thanks for being here, and let's get right to it. All right, welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I am your host. Thank you for being here and listening once again. I'm very excited to have as my guest today uh, the president and CEO of Americans United for Life, Catherine Glenn Foster. Catherine, thanks for being here. Absolutely a pleasure. Great. So, so I did a, a I know about you and your organization and the like, but um, I was hoping you'd, you'd sh- start off by sharing a little bit about what Americans United for Life is so that my audience can get to know your organization and the work you do a little bit better. Absolutely. You know, I am so pleased to be able to join you and, and connect with you and your audience. Uh, we are Americans United for Life. We were founded in 1971, two years before that tragic Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade struck down good, protective, life-affirming laws that provided real holistic care for women uh, nationwide, coast to coast. And we have been working ever since. This is our 50th anniversary this year. We work in state houses and Congress and the courts and in the culture to educate folks on just how terrible abortion and other threats to life really are and, uh, and what the law truly is here in the U.S. And we, uh, we work to, to draft good, life-affirming legislation, bills, and, and work to get those bills passed. Uh, we also defend them once they are passed. So a wide variety of work. I, I'm a lawyer myself, a constitutional mm-hmm. attorney, uh, a mom, a, a post-abortive woman as well. And, uh, and so that's, that's a, what we do in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I think we often, in this fight, we, we look at all the... Uh, all the fighting we do as far as, you know, marches and, and talks and, and fighting in a sense for this politician or that politician, we forget that there's a fight in the courtroom at every level. Um, so one of the cases that, um, that you, you talk about on the front of your, your website is you talk about the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case. And um, one of the points in there is, is where you d- defended I guess, against the reliance interest. I'm not a lawyer, so I could be. So explain that. What is the reliance uh, interest in regards to um, the life issue? Sure. You know, courts look to a number of different factors when they're determining whether a previous decision is good precedent. And one of those factors is the reliance interest. It's how people may have come to rely on a previous court decision. And that was actually one of the factors that they used in upholding the the core of Roe v. Wade in 1992 in the Planned Parenthood v. Casey case. And they said, in short, that women rely on abortion in order to succeed in society. Which, when you think about it, it's hard to think of a less feminist idea than that. If if you're trying to think about a a court that's trying to paint itself as pro-woman, as potentially feminist, I can't think of a less feminist idea. The idea that we as women 
can't compete on a level playing field with men, can't, um, can't participate in society, mm -hmm. can't be involved in our communities, in our government, our businesses, our churches, you know, whatever it may be, that we can't do that, that we can't even just plan for our, our education and careers and families and futures without relying, without resorting to legalized abortion, uh, taking away a core part of, of who we were created to be as mm -hmm. women, um, I mean, for me, if there's a culture that isn't letting us fully participate, it's that culture that needs to do some shifting, not us as women, because we are fulfilling what we were meant to do. And, um, and, and you know, so much of our culture has shifted since the early 1970s. It seems like every day I'm hearing about some new uh, throwback, right, on Facebook or something, and, and people are sharing, well, this is what it was like in the 50s, in the 60s, in the early 70s. And um, and you look back and you just think about how much we have changed since then. Some of it for the worse, but some of it has been for the better. Things like pregnancy protections in the workplace and all of the other ways that we have shifted our laws and, and made sure that we are more accommodating and more welcoming of women, including pregnant women, including parenting women in the workplace, in society, uh, when I see that, it really does, it, it tells me how far we've come. And it gives me so much hope and encouragement for the future that we can continue to, to make those shifts as we see that they're needed so that women are fully welcomed as we are and we're not excluded if we, if we do have, have a child. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So w what caught my interest about the reliance is that, um, you know, you obviously mentioned you're a lawyer. So you you have a, a fairly rare and, you know, not easy, uh, you know, education to get you're the CEO and president of uh, Americans United for Life. And there are women everywhere who we can quote is is showing is doing phenomenal things and achieving phenomenal things at every level of our society, including unknown things like we were talking about my my wife uh, the picture in the background and you know she's a stay-at-home teacher she teaches online locally and and while we're raising a family uh, we have a supreme court uh, justice who has what six kids i believe and or something you know in seven and and has achieved phenomenal things but they're saying that you rely on abortion in order to be ex successful so very insulting to your point um, <laughs> it really is. And I would yeah. just add, too, since you brought up Justice Barrett and, and the incredible example that she sets for women nationwide, worldwide, really, um, she is a, a woman who has risen to the very top of the legal profession and all while giving her all at home with those seven kids, including two adopted from Haiti in the wake of the earthquake there, including one with special needs diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb. And and you look at her and it's hard to think of, um, of someone who's, who's much of a better example, right? Mm -hmm. She's just this incredible um, faith-filled woman, right? right. Um, and she's someone who really is the living embodiment of what actually Justice Ginsburg, one of our mm -hmm. most noted pro-abortion justices, but right. she's the embodiment of what Justice Ginsburg fought for because before Justice Ginsburg rose to the Supreme Court bench, she was actually advocating for some of those laws that we were talking about earlier, just basic common sense, equal treatment for women, laws mm -hmm. that were actually discriminating against both men and women in the way that they were playing out. Mm -hmm. But she was saying, hey, women deserve a chance too. Women should be able to to be lawyers uh, or whatever, you know, or anything. And, um, and so 
Justice Barrett really is living that out, just as, as your own wife is living that out. And, and all of the other incredible role models that I meet in, in my travels across the country, um, women who just are so inspiring. Yeah, no, that's, it's really well said. Uh, you know, I think about, you know, I think ultimately Amy Coney Barrett was treated fairly well compared to what I was somewhat expecting. And I think it was because they were caught between the left was caught between a rock and a hard place, right? Do they destroy a woman um, or what do they do? And and they weren't exactly pleasant to her and they certainly attacked her. But, um, you know, I, I think that the left hates, especially people who contradict what their argument is, right? They do that with, with African-Americans as well, right? Whenever you see a conservative African-American, they destroy the person. You would have thought the left, the feminist would have loved Sarah Palin and been proud of her, yet they destroyed that woman and her family. So, um, you know, I think it's almost like a red badge of courage. Um, so are, are you open to uh, sharing uh, your story? Um, you had mentioned earlier your post-abortive. Uh, um, are you open sure. to sharing, uh, you know, a brief yeah. background? Absolutely. And, and just going back to your previous mm -hmm. point as well, um, I would just say, you know, people tend to tend to put others into boxes of what we expect them to be. Mm -hmm. And when we see people get outside of that box and surprise us, sometimes we don't react well to that, right? Mm -hmm. We Instead of welcoming them and being surprised and, and grateful to know them, sometimes we're, we're more standoffish and we and we don't welcome the men to uh, into the fold and yeah. big tent, if you want to say, right. um, in the way that really we should. Um, but um, but I, I'm just I'm so grateful that I was welcomed into the pro-life fold because mm -hmm. um, you know for some people my own story would be would be surprising. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in uh, in a, a pretty faithful household, but. Um, but not a household that, that really talked about abortion. We were, we were pro-life. And, and I had heard those terms pro-life, pro-choice, but um, not really abortion. And I, I couldn't have really told you what it was or what it meant or anything like that until I was 19 years old. And, um, and I found myself unexpectedly pregnant. Um, I had just come back from Christmas break and in college and um, went to the health center and, and they had me take a, a pregnancy test. And I was completely shocked because I had never, it had never been suggested to me before. It hadn't occurred to me, um, but I took it and it came back positive. And, um, and I had no idea what to do. I had no idea where to turn. If there were any resources out there, it was just a blank slate. And the nurses there in the health clinic, um, I think they probably wanted to try to help, but, um, but didn't know how. And so um, and so that night I turned to the internet and I, I Googled and I just was searching, you know, searching for answers. What do you do with this unplanned pregnancy? And the things that popped up were abortion facilities. Um, I didn't really know what to do, but I was scared and reaching out, trying to find some kind of solution or path forward and, um, and, the idea with no help or no assistance of trying to figure out how to navigate that uh, in undergrad was, it was overwhelming with no support there. Um, so I, I mean, I was terrified of telling anyone. Sure. Um, so I, I made an appointment for that Saturday. Um, 
didn't know what I would do, but I did know that if I was going to get an abortion, it would need to be quick because I, I still remember that week really vividly. I was, I was walking around campus. I was wearing my, my boyfriend's oversized Timberland sweatshirt. And I was actually talking with, with my child as, um, as I walked and trying to, trying to comfort her. I actually, even that week I named her. Um, and I just didn't know where to turn. You know, at, if, if the people there in the health clinic, if they had held my hand or put their arm around my shoulder and said, it's okay, you're enough, you can do this, you're strong enough, then, you know, that would have made all the difference in the world. If they had had a plan, you know, here's, here's what it looks like with classes and housing and campus housing and all of that, that would have made a world of difference. If, if they had just said, hey, it's okay, let's call your mom together. We'll tell her together. Because my mom was a single mom. And, and I was, I just, I couldn't imagine disappointing her. And so if they had said, let's call your mom together, I bet she'll take it better than you, better than you think, then that would have made a world of difference. And I would now have a 19 year old instead of this, this empty hole in my heart, Mm -hmm. but nothing like that happened. And, and I Googled by myself and I walked into that abortion facility. And from the moment I walked in, nothing felt right because I wasn't there exercising a right to choose. I was there because I felt I had no other choice and nothing that happened there restored that choice. Um, they, they had me pay and they gave me a pill and I took that and then I went back and, and, and I was laying on the table and they were doing the ultrasound and, and, you know, that screen's like two feet away from you. And, and I hadn't made a decision. I was, I was looking for answers and information. And so I said, you know, can I see, you know, I, I know that's my child growing. I, I want to see my child. And, um, and the person said, no, the worker said, no, we don't do that. You know, you can't, you can't see. And so to this day, I've never been able to see that one image of my first child, which that's one of those things that haunts you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so glad that now state after state is passing laws to ensure that when women ask, they can't say no, that we're allowed, that we're, that we have the right to see our own medical records, really, that yeah. that image of our child that, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, no. So well, thank you for sharing that. I know it was difficult for you. So um, I appreciate you. And it's, uh, I think it is powerful to also know that, uh, you know, the pro-life side that you represent and I'm a part of, I guess, in a small way is there is, there's not meant to be a judgment afterwards and in pointing fingers and and causing people to feel bad. Um, It's actually just the opposite. Um, But that's a, that's a, Great story. And again, it was, you could tell it was difficult for you to tell it. Um, you started it towards the end there to talk about, you know, what they not letting you uh, see the ultrasound, you know, essentially you're saying you can't, what I can't see my own medical information. I hear this time and again, and so many people that I've interviewed uh, who've been in the same situation where they were outright lied to information was withheld from them. Um, from a legal perspective, you know, I had surgery on my foot a few years ago. Okay. And I was able to take every bit of time to think about, should I have surgery? Should I do rehab and see, I was able to see my doctor went over my MRI with me, uh, looked at the x-ray that I got first, all sorts of things. It was completely up to me. Nothing could be hidden from me. 
right? And that goes for anything, even things more severe. A doctor is going to review a cancer patient's treatment. Here's the options. Here's the goods and the bads and so on. From a legal standpoint, how is it that they continue to get away with what they're doing as far as not giving, number one, legal information? Number two, the issues of, um, you know, Planned Parenthood, for example, fighting when states want to demand that abortion doctors are within a certain distance of a hospital in case something goes wrong. They fight even that. How do right. we, yeah. how, how do they get away with that legally? Right. They get away with so much. And generally it's because they're allowed to in almost every area you can think of, there is a legal loophole for abortion where there's a carve out and they don't have to follow the same rules as everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, I think about the informed consent process that you were just talking about. And I've actually deposed an abortionist who said that when it comes to abortion, the informed consent process is different than in any other context. Well, it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, we don't get to see our records. We don't get to see the ultrasounds. And, and in my own personal case, even after that ultrasound, you know, I, I was asking for information. I wasn't being given answers. We know that this happens to woman after woman after woman. And in my case, I finally woke up. I was in that procedure room and it just felt wrong. And I said, I'm done. I can't do this. It, 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 it's taking a life. I, I cannot be part of taking my own child's life. And I tried to get up and leave. Um, in my case and in the case of women that I've known, women that I've represented in court, they wouldn't let me go. They called me back up and I ended up with a worker holding down each arm and a worker holding down each leg. And I'm trying to scream. They were trying to cover up my mouth and make me be quiet. They would not let me go. And that is the story of the abortion industry in America, where no matter what a woman's choice is, it better be in line with what they want it to be. You know, they don't let us make the choice for life. And, and they don't give us the information. They don't let us go. Even when you know, we know what, what's truly happening there mm -hmm. in that abortion facility. So, you know, what we need are states, lawmakers, and ordinary citizens who are ready, willing, and able to stand up and hold the abortion industry accountable, willing, willing to protect women, to ensure that women get every chance at life-saving care when things go wrong during an abortion, willing to make sure that those abortion facilities, as long as they are open, at least they are sanitary, because right now we treat our animals with more care and compassion and sanitation than we do women undergoing one of the most difficult and, and really traumatic procedures you can imagine. And, um, and it's time for, for us to get real regulations, real transparency, real accountability from the abortion industry instead of what we've seen for 50 years now, just about of them blocking every single law that the pro-life movement tries to pass, that good lawmakers, that citizens try to pass just because, you know, they see that it relates somehow to abortion. You know, we need protections. And, and that's what you're doing. That's the legal fight that you're doing. And, uh, um, that's phenomenal work and obviously necessary work is especially from the legal perspective, because, you know, I'm not a lawyer, you have to have certain credentials to, to be able to do what you're doing. So that's fantastic. And, um, I certainly appreciate, uh, your organization and, and what you're doing. 
Um, so again, I just want to give you this last um, bit to uh, let everyone know who's listening, where they can find your organization online, where they can help support um, in any way uh, what you're doing out there. So I'll, I'll leave it to you to, to let everyone know. Thank you. You can find Americans United for Life at AUL.org. We're on all the social media as well. And you can just connect with us there to find out what's going on in your state, how you can get involved. There are so many ways to get involved, whether it's uh, coming out and testifying or just being there and being a presence to stand for life at the state house or participating in a rally or, or praying outside those abortion facilities mm -hmm. the way the way I wish people had been praying outside of mine when I went in. There are so many ways to get involved in the life movement, but uh, but I would just encourage everyone to go to AUL.org and find out the latest right where you live. Great. Thank you very much. And yes, please do AUL.org. I'll post it uh, uh, on my sites and everything as well when, uh, when I release this episode. Catherine Glenn Foster, uh, the President and CEO of Americans United for Life. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And thank all of you for listening um, to this episode of Fides Podcast. Uh, see you next time. <laughs>